great pleasure of introducing our speaker tonight, Professor Leo Panich. Leo is a distinguished research professor of political science and Canada Research Chair in Comparative Political Economy at York University in Toronto. Since 1985, he has been the editor um, of Socialist Register, the Journal of Socialist Theory and Politics founded by Ralph Miliband and is considered to be the protégé of the late Ralph Miliband. Leo is the author of more than 100 scholarly articles and numerous books. He's written in great detail about the fortunes of left parties in recent, recent years, publishing articles and books on Syriza, Bernie Sanders and the US left, and Corbynism in the UK. Um, Leo, I'd just like to say I personally really appreciate your contribution to Marxist state theory, addressing state transformation, and I have benefited, benefited from how you explain the contours of the debate between Palantis and Miliband. I've been listening to some of your recent webinars with Jacobin on Miliband and Transform Europe with Kate Hudson on the implications of COVID crises, which were extremely illuminating. So I'm really looking forward to hearing more from you this evening. Leo's most recent book is Searching for Socialism, published by Verso just last month. Um, this is a detailed analysis of the Labour left, updating the analysis of his widely read and famous book, The End of Parliamentary Socialism. Arguably, there is no one better place to talk about what Keir Starmer's leadership of the Labour Party means for the left and whether or not this is the end of Corbynism. Now, can I just remind everyone once more to make sure your mics are on mute and I'd like to say, take it away, Leo. Thank you for joining us. Thank very much and I hope it'll be a productive conversation. Uh, I'm sure we all want to be addressing the question of what now? Uh, in the context not only of this crisis, but in the context of how much this uh, pandemic proves that the perspective being advanced uh, by Corbyn, by Sanders, initially by Syriza uh, in the wake of the 2008 crisis, uh, were so profoundly correct the call in America for universal public health care in the context of this crisis is just enormously validated. Uh, the uh, expenditures that the Corbyn-led Labour Party were being traduced for proposing to undertake in the 2017 and 2019 manifesto in terms of the question of who will pay for this. Uh, in light of what is now being spent by an utterly unprepared set of states around the world, not only in Britain, uh, shows how valid the socialist perspective was in the run-up to this crisis. Uh, and yet, uh, what we face in this conjuncture is the question of whether this left upsurge in uh, the electoral arena, uh, inside the mainstream parties and outside of them with the emergence of parties like Syriza and Podemos, is now over. Uh, with Sanders now obviously not going to secure the Democratic Party nomination, 
uh, and especially with the defeat of the Corbyn-led Labor Party uh, this year, well, in December, and then Corbyn's replacement by a rather conventional, even of left-of-center politician like Starmer. Uh, we now to ask whether this is all over. And, and what that reflected was, as I've argued for some years, a, a shift uh, on the left from protest to politics. Uh, very quickly after Occupy, uh, the enormous range of political protests, which was for the most part anti-party or not interested in parties, which we saw from the anti-globalization movement of Seattle, uh, Genoa, Quebec City, etc., right through to the protests here against the G20 in 2012, but with Occupy really representing that most of all, one saw a very rapid move towards uh, a shift of from protest to politics uh, with the Corbyn and Sanders uh, developments inside those mainstream parties standing out, uh, but obviously with the formation of new parties uh, with a significant electoral impact uh, uh, like Syriza and Podemos, etc. Is this now over? I mean, one could say already in the last year that Extinction Rebellion marked a resurgence of a politics of protest. Even before one saw uh, the uh, barriers, the limits uh, that Sanders and Corbyn ran into, and we of course saw the limits of, of Syriza earlier. What I'd like to do uh, in the time I have available is try to put this question in perspective. In order to ask what now, I think all we can sensibly do if I'm not just going to speculate in, in ways that I don't think is very useful, is try to put in perspective what happened with this attempt to go into a party like the Labour Party uh, and turn it into an agency of socialist advance uh, in the United Kingdom. Uh, and I must say, uh, my first attempt to write about this seriously was exactly 40 years ago. My first essay in the Socialist Register was an essay called Socialist and the Labour Party, a Reappraisal, published in the 1979 Register. And it was a critique of a previous article written some four or five years earlier by Ken Coates. Uh, who perhaps those of you who are my age will remember as someone who was expelled from the Labour Party in the mid-1960s, uh, was the founder uh, of uh, the important Nottingham-based Centre for Workers' Control, uh, was readmitted to the Labour Party with the upsurge of the Benite and Campaign for Labour Party democracy insurgency in the party in the 1970s, and he made the case against what had been Miliband's position, which is that the greatest of illusions that socialists in Britain succumb to is the notion that the Labour Party can be turned into a socialist party. Uh, and Coates made the case in the mid-70s in the Register that it was daunting, it was difficult, but it was possible and it was necessary. And the piece I wrote back in 79 uh, said, uh, uh, yes, uh, Coates had said, where do you see the emergence of new mass socialist parties, 
however daunting and difficult it is to change the Labour Party. And I ended my piece by saying, uh, you're right, we don't see them, but where do you see transformed social democratic parties? That, that strategy being successful. Well, I wasn't entirely happy to see, although I was vindicated by 1981, uh, the Bennite left and the campaign for party democracy was defeated at the national level in the Labour Party. Even though there were important reverberations of it at the local level that continued, not least with the Greater London Council, but not only uh, uh, right up into the mid 1980s. And the Labour Party's defeat in 1983 proved uh, that uh, the attempt to change a party in this fundamental way cannot but inevitably produce massive internal party divisions. Uh, and divided parties don't win elections. That's really why Thatcher won in 83. And those divisions were heard right up to the day of the election, as Dennis Healy turned on the Labour Party platform, because it had retained Michael Foote's commitment to unilateral nuclear disarmament. Even though Foote had compromised with the Labour right, in the defeat of the campaign for party democracy and the Bannite left uh, from uh, the time he was elected as leader, it entered into an alliance with Healy. Uh, the book, The End of Parliamentary Socialism that Colin Lees and I did some 20 years later was about showing the way in which that defeat of the labor left uh, and the, the foot and Kinnock alliance with the labor right to marginalize it had paved the way for new labor. And it came out just as Blair was elected in 1997, and it reaffirmed my view, uh, as we said in that book, that the party could not become a, a avenue for socialist advance and the necessity of trying to found new mass socialist parties. In, in Collins, in my view, always of a kind that wasn't uh, rooted in the legacy of trying to find a better Leninism, trying to find a, 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 uh, a Trotskyist version of a mass socialist party, that this was too enveloped in a Bolshevik model, which however relevant to certain countries at the end of the First World War, was not relevant to democratic capitalist countries at the end of the 20th century. That said, uh, what was, I have to admit, and I thought then, uh, one, one had to say, uh, where were, was the evidence of such new mass socialist parties? Uh, you know, the attempt by the Scottish Labour Party was in some sense the most successful of the attempt to find a new party. The Scar Scargold Socialist Labour Party was, was classically unsuccessful. Uh, and except for some successes, very, very briefly at a local level, really, the respect attempt in alliance with the Socialist Workers' Party failed as well. Um, uh, it did happen elsewhere by the beginning of the 21st century. Uh, uh, you saw realignments of uh, the social democratic left with the Trotskyist and Maoist left and the movement left. In the case uh, of uh, the Euro-communist uh, Dilinka that emerged uh, in the case of Syriza and later 
uh, in the case of Bloco in Portugal and, and, and Podemos in Spain. Um, but that was very much a product of a first pass, the post-electoral system not existing there. Where you have proportional representation, uh, the possibility of a new socialist party getting a foothold electorally is much, much greater than when you have a first-past-the-post system, as in Britain and Canada and the United States. Uh, and the, in that sense, you could say that the socialist campaign group that remained inside the Labour Party had formed around Ben, but been utterly marginalized, uh, were right to stay in the Labour Party. Had there been PR, uh, in Britain, they would certainly have left, I believe, in a realignment at the time of the formation uh, of the most impressive anti-war movement in the world, the Stop the War movement in Britain, uh, and with the shift to the left of a number of the trade unions uh, by, in response, I think, to New Labour and the Blairite governments uh, by 2001, uh, which saw the election of McCluskey and, and others uh, in, in uh, British unions, important British unions. Um, but that didn't happen in the British case because of the first-past-the-post system. Uh, of course, with the great financial crisis that undid new labor, undid the strategy of uh, uh, happily joining into neoliberal capitalist globalization with the hope of getting some crumbs off the table. Uh, that was undone by the 2008 crisis and you, it was confirmed by the election of Ed Miliband as leader of the Labour Party uh, in, in uh, the wake of uh, uh, Gordon Brown's defeat. Um, that said, uh, even though Miliband was effectively elected by those left-wing union leaders. Uh, um, uh, his brother got the majority of constituency Labour Party votes. Um, uh, it, it, it was uh, the union leaders that swung Miliband's election. Uh, and Miliband was much more interested in trying to return the party to having some sort of a perspective as a working class party. Um, without doubt, um, his compromise with austerity, uh, his attempt to re re hold on to the unity of the Parliamentary Labour Party, which was so heavily new labour even after the 2010 election, uh, combined with the fact that he joined with the Tories uh, in fighting uh, against the Scottish Nationalist Party, against those of you who were campaigning for independence more broadly, in the Scottish referendum, uh, making no distinction between a Labour Party position and the Tory position, uh, between Sturgeon's anti-austerity substantive uh, uh, position, uh, apart from the question of independence, uh, making no distinction around the issue of austerity, I think had a great deal to do with the Labour Party's defeat in 2015. 
the fact that he would have had to enter into an alliance with the SNP at a parliamentary level had he won was, of course, one of the things that UKIP used in securing such a large vote for itself in traditional Northern uh, Labor Party constituencies in the 2015 election, using a right-wing English nationalism against uh, a anti-austerity uh, Scottish uh, independence nationalism. Uh, you all know all, all this stuff far better than I, and you know, no doubt will have some criticisms of the analysis I've just made in this respect. Um, but things were going on in, inside the Labour Party uh, under Miliband's tenure, which proved very important and which I uh, was paying no attention to. Uh, having concluded that uh, you know you couldn't change the Labour Party into a socialist party, and I, despite admiring Ed and knowing him so well through my very close relationship with the Miliband family, uh, uh, I had no expectation that he had any ambition to do this. Uh, however much of an ethical socialist he is, uh, he in many respects is a fairly conventional politician. Um, what was going on uh, was the continuation of uh, the impact of the left-wing union leadership, uh, now not only seen in its support for the uh, uh, Stop the War uh, campaign, also seen in its support for the anti-austerity movement, UK Uncut, etc., cetera, um, but especially seen in its own attempt to secure more working class MPs in the Labour Party. Uh, and that came to a head in Scotland, of course, uh, with the Falkirk by-election, uh, with Kerry Murphy, who would go on to become, of course, head of Corbyn's office, being the person that Unite was trying to get nominated in Falkirk, using the very Blairite means of signing up members in order to do so. But of course, the Blairites in the party uh, and especially the un, really disingenuous and, and cynical people who, who police the Labour Party apparatus, as we've just seen with the leaked report, uh, determined not to get uh, left-wing working class representatives there, uh, turned that into a campaign against the Labour left, um, uh, which Miliband succumbed to. Uh, ironically, and very much to the credit of United McCluskey, this became the means of securing one member, one vote uh, as the basis for the uh, election of the next leader. The Labour left, from the time this was proposed in the 1970s, was always very, very uneasy about this because they saw it as a way of diminishing the, the influence of the union vote inside the Labour Party. Um, uh, which was uh, always, of course, uh, in the end, determining. Uh, McCluskey, and I think one has to say Andrew Murray, uh, who had come into uh, uh, the senior ranks of Unite from the Communist Party and the campaign, the anti-war campaign, um, had the guts to think that they could get enough Unite members to vote for a left-wing leader or at least a leader that was more oriented to keeping the party as a class party. And they pushed for one member, one vote, which almost the whole of the left opposed. Tony Benn was even trotted out in the last year of his life 
to come to the Unite office and tell them not to support this. Uh, but it did pass, and ironically, it became the means of Corbyn getting elected. When Corbyn got nominated, uh, uh, he was running on the basis, as he said in his speeches uh, during the campaign for the leader, of showing that the left still had a presence, still offered some hope, no expectation that he would be elected leader. But the impact, and above all, of social media like this, which a young group of new Labour Party uh, members that, that Miliband's uh, leadership had attracted, had really founded uh, uh, in the Labour Party with a group called Red Labour, um, which became the forerunner of the social media campaign for uh, Corbyn in 2015, and then for momentum after 2015, with the impact it had uh, on uh, Labour's electoral fortunes and the, the vast growth in membership under Corbyn. Um, uh, this proved to be crucial in getting a Corbyn elected. One has to say that apart from what has just been revealed about the party apparatus, which was to someone who studied the Labour Party for so long as I have, not at all surprising. And, and I don't think the vituperation about trots and anti-Semitism, et cetera, is actually the most important thing that report showed. The most important uh, thing it showed was on page 68, if you ever look at that report, where two regional organizers, who have always been mainly expert at expelling people from the Labour Party, rather than organizing people into it, uh, say to one another, Momentum has just put out an ad for hiring some of its own regional organizers. Uh, do you see how badly they're going to pay them? Nevertheless, they are going to be very, very active and actually and determined in actually doing organizing where we're, we can't be arsed to do any of it. And that precisely is the fundamental problem with the Labour Party in terms of any attempt to try to turn it into a, a, a movement for socialist advance. Uh, that the party machine, that the party apparatus is not only uh, hostile to left-wing ideas, uh, but that it has very little capacity to revive anything like the culture and structure of uh, politicized working-class communities, again, in Britain. And we know how depoliticized they've become and how important that is uh, in the ability of uh, the right uh, to penetrate them uh, uh, so effectively. Uh, and, and indeed, with uh, the replacement of them by a more progressive nationalist voice electorally uh, in Scotland. Um, uh, uh, which was, after all, one of the main seats of New Labour. Um, even in the face of this, and even in the face of the support of the vast majority of the Parliamentary Labour Party, of the people who ran that party apparatus right up to the 2017 election, uh, despite that, uh, one has to say that the 2017 election campaign, in good part due to momentum, but in good part due to the way in which the party manifesto picked up left-wing union leader, uh, union left-wing union programs, 
And it just, it, all it did was piece together for the most part uh, policies which the left-wing unions had had in their, in their platforms. Um, the, the 27 election was a remarkable demonstration of the potential for socialist electoral politics in the 21st century. A remarkable demonstration of it. Uh, I really do believe that Corbyn could have won that election, except for the behavior of the party apparatus. Uh, and the lack of enthusiasm of the vast majority of the Parliamentary Labour Party for that manifesto, uh, for that very creative and, and very well-presented manifesto. There were loads of problems with it from a socialist perspective. Um, much of the industrial strategy it advanced, even the public ownership it advanced, was very much tied to a theme of competitiveness using the state to make Britain competitive again, with all of the ideological contradictions that that entails. Uh, even the industrial democracy proposals uh, raised very large questions of whether putting workers on boards would not lead them to ally with managers, as almost all of the research on uh, uh, union representatives on company board shows. Uh, ally with their own members, with, with their managers, against other workers in other corporations in competition with them. All of those things were left hanging, and perhaps most important for people in Scotland, Corbyn's commitment to ending Trident and to a politics at the industrial level of the conversion of uh, the shipbuilding capacities of Scottish workers into socially useful production was not in the manifesto. And it was not in the manifesto because Unite and uh, uh, the GMB vetoed it. it also, that also exposed uh, the deep contradictions even on the Corbyn supporting Labour left. Clive Lewis went to the Labour Party conference in, nine, in 2016 and justified not putting the end of Trident uh, into the party manifesto on the grounds that NATO, after all, shared Labour's fundamental value of solidarity. Talk about confusing people. Uh, so there were loads of problems, loads of problems, which revealed the great limitations of, of this daunting task of trying to turn the Labour Party into a socialist party, even when you have a socialist leader, as committed a socialist leader as Jeremy Corbyn. It showed all that. Nevertheless, it also showed, despite all of that, the viability, uh, conceivably, of a socialist electoral strategy in the 21st century. What happened afterwards, of course, uh, was tragic, had much to do, in my view, with the Brexit conjuncture, uh, but not only that. It had to do with the Brexit conjuncture precisely in the sense that Labour did so well in the 2017 election that it denied May a majority. Uh, and, and the result of that was that the deadlock over Brexit uh, in Parliament consumed all of Corbyn's energies. And increasingly, uh, everyone in the Corbyn office was trapped in, Westmin in the Westminster bubble. 
especially as the new labor-led People's Vote campaign got enough funding uh, to make it look like a second referendum uh, would lead to a different vote uh, on whether to leave or not the, uh, the European Union. Uh, whereas Corbyn had immediately after the 2017 election said, we did so well because we broke out of the Westminster bubble. Uh, he became trapped within it. Uh, and as is always the case with the labor left, uh, which is exactly what happened with Foot in 1980-81, the left took it as its own responsibility to keep the unity of the Labour Party. The right never does this. So a number of uh, Labour MPs, as you know, left in, in early 2019 uh, on the issue of Corbyn not being enthusiastic enough in support of the people's vote. Many, many more would have done so uh, had he come out more clearly uh, as Northern and Midland MPs wanted him to do against a second referendum, as had been the party's policy in 2017, and everyone had accepted it, including the right. Um, uh, uh, instead, he took unity on his shoulders, and there's a case to be made that given the outcome of the 2019 election, uh, he uh, should have allowed a significant portion of the PLP to go and retain the Labour Party apparatus and the links with the unions even if that meant that the next election would have been lost. It at least would have gotten rid of those people that Harold Lasky once said. Lasky, as you know, is Miliband's uh, great mentor. Uh, he was chairman of the National Executive of the Labour Party, uh, Britain's great political theorist in the first half of the 20th century. He once said, that the task of convincing a majority of the British electorate to support socialism is less difficult a task than convincing many Labour Party leaders to support socialism. And this is, was proven under Corbyn uh, uh, to the hill. That said, even if you'd inherited that apparatus, what would you have inherited? Uh, even though the left, with the, largely due to Momentum's remarkable mobilization at a constituency level, very impressive, did take over the NEC, secured a majority of the National Executive Committee, uh, together with the left-wing unions. Those left-wing unions were, as always, worried about creating divisions with the center and right-wing unions. And they were therefore constantly compromising on the NEC around unity. Uh, secondly, uh, the democracy review, which was the key to transforming the party apparatus, was fairly good on securing more representation uh, for uh, uh, marginalized groups in British society and in the Labour Party, uh, but not much more than that. Hardly addressed how to change the culture and structure of constituency parties, uh, had virtually nothing to say about political education except what it borrowed from a brilliant piece by Max Shanley about the need to change young labor through political education at the base, etc. Uh, so all that was very, very disappointing. And even though Corbyn uh, was successful in getting a campaign organizing unit with 30 paid organizers who were linking up with the movements at the constituency and regional level, um, in, in the year before the election. 
they were highly constrained uh, inside a party apparatus, even under the change in the general secretary to Jenny Formby, who was a Corbyn supporter. She had been a militant uh, back in the 1980s, uh, very, very close to McCluskey. One could say too close to McCluskey. Um, uh, the party apparatus hadn't changed uh, all that much. So where are we? Uh, you would think I would make the case for forgetting about the Labour Party. Uh, and I'm tempted to. Uh, were there much sign that new mass socialist parties uh, were on the agenda? Uh, but it appears to be the case, I have to say, that they're not. Uh, even those that did emerge are now in alliance, in, in coalitions, with rather mainstream social democratic parties at the regional level in Germany, uh, in Spain, in Portugal. Um, in, in the United States, the Democratic Socialists of America have a larger membership now than Momentum, over 60,000. Whereas before Sand Sanders' uh, uh, run for in 2016, the Democratic Socialists of America had a membership of some 8,000 people with an average age of over 60. It now has over 60,000 members with an average age of under 30. All that's impressive. But it doesn't even have the coherence of momentum, which isn't very coherent. Uh, and is very likely to, unlikely to be the basis uh, of the foundation of a new democratic socialist uh, pre-party formation. In fact, I think it will, while doing very good work at a local level, uh, it will continue with the strategy of trying to mainly work within the, late, the democratic party. Some of that good work at the global level will play an important role in terms of working class reformation, I think. Um, uh, as momentum can possibly do uh, if it addresses itself that, to that in the British case, uh, although it has nearly done so uh, uh, heretofore. So I think the best we can hope for uh, in uh, uh, the English case and the Welsh case is for people to try to build on the organizational legacy of the Corbyn episode. And that will involve trying to turn uh, momentum and its offspring, the world transformed, which did transform Labour Party conferences into amazing festivals of culture and debate and discussion, rather than the trade shows uh, they were under New Labour. Uh, uh, remarkable. Um, and, and there'll be a very heavy burden on momentum activists now to try to pick up the task of not only political education, but to do that in a way that is linked with political organizing, with political activism, with indeed protest, since no electoral politics is going to be successful without movements in the streets. Uh, you know, I, I, I need to remind people often that what embarrassed the early labor MPs most 
about the suffragettes was not their demand for the women's right to vote. They all supported that. But what they couldn't abide was women uh, chaining themselves to the gates of parliament. This was not within the bounds of parliamentary decorum. Rather than encouraging that type of thing, when they became MPs, they thought it was their job to discourage it. So this isn't a matter of uh, not trying to revive protests, not linking up with Extinction Rebellion, should it reemerge in the wake of the isolation of the pandemic, etc. Relinking it to the kind of uh, uh, Green New Deal. Uh, that has been articulated as part of the Sanders and Corbyn campaign. And it was very well articulated in the 2019 manifesto, which was much less compromised by the search for competitiveness because it was linked to the Green New Deal, uh, because it brought the industrial strategy, public ownership together with the Green New Deal. Uh, I think there's hope there. That said, and I'm, I'm very curious to know uh, how different the situation is in Scotland, uh, where the situation of the Labour Party is, is so very different uh, in light of the lead that the SNP took on austerity, in light of the fact that nationalism is not xenophobic in the Scottish case, although some of you may tell me some of it is. Um, uh, but for the most part, it's perceived been perceived not to be. Uh, so I, I, I'll leave it here because I'd much be, be much more be interested in hearing how different the situation may be on the ground in Scotland uh, than it is in, in England. And I must tell you as a Canadian uh, and one who has always argued that should Quebec secure its independence, it's not leaving to the other side of the world. It'll still be there on the other side of the Ottawa River. And the task for the socialists left in the rest of Canada would be to build the most cl the closest linkages with the socialists left in Quebec. Uh, so I've never been someone who has been hostile to Quebec independence, uh, uh, unless it's been led from the right, of course. Uh, uh, and it hasn't always by any means been led from the left. Uh, so I'm very curious to hear how different the situation is in Scotland, and I'll stop there.